Well, hey everybody, welcome back. I'm Tim, and this is So You Want to Be in Ministry. And uh, our whole goal here is to get you to the finish line that, uh, of the race that God has put in front of you. And today we get our first interview. I'm excited about this interview. I've looked forward to this. I was so excited when Jim uh, told me he would do this. Uh, now I want to tell you a little bit about Jim Grant and who he is to me um, before I tell you <laughs> who he is as far as a bio goes. But uh, I was uh, I had worked through a lot of uh, very difficult things in ministry early on in my ministry career, and um, I got to a point where I'm like, maybe I just need to just go find a church, get a job, maybe I'll go coach, whatever, uh, and I will just figure this thing out some other way because this just doesn't seem to be working out for me. Little did I know, we actually had an interim pastor that was like, Tim, hold on, I think this next guy is going to be good for you. Uh, just make it to this guy. And sure enough, the interim pastor was very right, and Jim Grant very much taught me what I needed to teach, uh, to be taught, and um, I was hungry to learn. He was very much available for me, and he taught me things that I desperately needed to know, and he's going to share some of those things for with you, uh, and I say this in the interview, but on the interview process, I knew how effectively he walked that interview process. By being the youth pastor at the church he was looking at coming to, uh, I just went, wow, uh, this guy's asking good questions because of the, the the search team would come back and say things and do things. I'm like, where are they getting all this? And I, I figured out they're getting it from Jim. Uh, so looking forward to it. I asked Jim, I go, what do you, do you want me to do a bio or something? And he wrote a book and, and we'll talk a little bit about that. And I'll put these uh, links to his books and stuff uh, in the descriptions. But he said, just read just read the back of the book. So that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to read the back of the book. Dr. Jim Grant is director of missions of the Galveston Baptist Association in Texas after serving as senior pastor of churches in Texas and Illinois. He is an Air Force veteran retiring with 25 years of service. His extensive travels while in the military allowed him the unique ability to, to have served in the full gambit of churches, styles, and health. He has a Master of Divinity degree from Southwest Baptist Theological Seminary and a Doctorate of Ministry degree from Midwest Baptist Theological Seminary with a concentration on church revitalization. So what I love about him is he can absolutely talk about the orthodoxy of, uh, of Scripture, but he is, in my opinion, a master of the orthopraxy. Like, how does it show up in ministry? How does it show up in our lives? Like, how do you use it where it's living and active every single day? And so I think you're going to hear that. Uh, enough of me talking. Let's get into this interview. I hope you enjoy it, and I'll see you on the other side of the interview. Well, Jim, thank you so much for being with me today. I really appreciate it. You've, been, uh, you've made a great deal of difference in my life and my ministry, and so I was very grateful when you said you'd be here uh, for basically my first interview in this podcast. Uh, but uh, why don't you—I know a lot of your path, but why don't you share— what was your path to full-time vocational uh, pastoral ministry? Like, uh, give us kind of the highlights, the bullet points, some of the some of the things that really we need to hear to kind of understand where you came from and and what brought you to this point. Well, Jim, thank you. I appreciate the the honor of being able to be your first, uh, and hopefully, I won't uh, mess up your podcast where people don't listen to it. But uh, my journey actually began uh, when I accepted the Lord in 1975. Uh, I was going through the, the world uh, success stories, as they would call it, trying to put all these things in my, in my life, but I come up with an emptiness, 
And uh, I knew that if I had not changed what was going on or how I was living, I probably would not have reached the age of 21. You know, I got saved uh, uh, in 1975 at 19. And uh, I just, uh, it was a, a radical change. Um, I, I, I was an introvert before, but afterwards I began just talking. Of course, my wife tells me, yeah, yeah and he hasn't shut up since, you know. But, but anyhow, uh, I, there was just a thirst and a hunger for the word of God. Uh, not just to, I, I wanted to know who this Jesus was. I wanted to know and understand how and what happened to my life. And, and really, I was immersing myself into to scripture. And uh, in, in 1979, when um, I came, after I came back from uh, Korea, uh, a pastor and a chairman deacon said, uh, our church wanted me to be a, a, a deacon. And I'm going, I'm 22 years old. What do I know to tell somebody at 65, you know? So, but, and so I said, nah, I don't think so. So he pressed and in 1979, they ordained me as a deacon, a 23-year-old deacon. Now, you know, it's kind of weird, but it was odd because God began to move me into places of teaching and of leadership that I felt that, you know, somebody 60, 65 should be in that position, you know. Uh, but what happened was, is that I began to do a lot of the things uh, that church members do. You know, I was reading my Bible. I was tithing. I was praying. I was going to Sunday school. I was doing all the things, even uh, to my um, uh, undesire to go out and visit, knowing that as a deacon, well, you kind of need to do those things, you know. Mm -hmm. So what I did, though, but but I knew that when I first got saved, when I was in Korea, there was a, a, a we were doing some Bible study, really intensive, and I knew that God was doing something in me, and I I, I felt that He was going to call me, uh, and it scared me. <laughs> so what I did is I I ran for the for the next fifteen years. And it wasn't until I got into Italy and I was getting on a plane going down to work with the, uh, the Italian Air Force that I'd come to the point where I was exhausted and frustrated at the same time. And I said, God, I don't want to, I can't come back to Belgium the way I'm leaving. And what began was a, a almost like a, uh, uh, it was a captivated time of, even though I was interacting with people, it was like I was incarcerated in a room. And of course, I read Proverbs. Well, don't read Proverbs if you want to feel encouraged, you know, because uh, uh, it really is an indictment against all of us and how we live and stuff. Well, anyhow, after about 38 to 39 days, what happened is that um I literally broke. I was broken. And um, I, I didn't realize it at the time, but the Lord's revealed to me since that I actually was the, the prize, if you would. Mm -hmm. And it was a battle of whether Satan was going to win in a compromising Christian walk or whether I was going to be totally surrendered to what the Lord wanted to do. And finally, I came to the point, I said, Satan, do whatever you got to do, because there was all kinds of threats. You know, we know he's the accuser of the brethren. 
And what happened was, is that I said, you do what you got to do. And I said, because if I do not have God as first place in my life, then my next breath is a waste. Mm. And so what happened was I was broken. Uh, I had, there was no fight left in me. And I became submissive to what the Lord wanted me to do. And uh, my life verse became Galatians 2.20. Uh, I had never understood fully being crucified. But Tim, probably the easiest thing to say is that I died. I died that day in that, in that dorm room in Italy. And I told the Lord then, I said, I don't care where, when, how, or what. I will do whatever you ask me to do. And, and what I had to do is that I had to figure out that it wasn't do more, it was be more. And um, uh, I, I had done church up to that point and I knew I was saved, uh, but doing church didn't work. And what happened was, is that after I uh, submitted to the Lord in 1994, I, I met an individual I'll talk about a little bit later, and he actually revealed to me what happened to me. And uh, um, I know that there's probably a lot of explanations that people could come up with. Here's the deal is that I no longer was in charge. I didn't have to try and think of how to live the Christian life because Jesus is the Christian life. And, and when I realized all the fightings that I, I couldn't, I do this. I couldn't do that. Well, here's the key. If God calls you that he's going to do it, it's upon him to fulfill his promises. And so I returned back to uh, Belgium and I finished out my tour there. And uh, I knew that God had called me. In fact, the last Sunday that I was in Belgium, they ordained me to the gospel ministry. And which was miraculous because they were able to do it in two weeks. And if you know Baptist Church is doing something in two weeks, it's kind of crazy, you know. But I knew that when I was returning back to the United States, I was going to be on a journey to finish my undergraduate and I was going to retire. And then I went into the military, uh, into uh, a seminary in 19, August 1997. Well, when I retired, I had a phone call when I got home at 2 p.m. the same day for a church asking if I would come and be their pastor. So I had like eight hours off before, you know, the Lord had already moved me. So what has happened then? So I knew that what God was doing in me. And I finally got to a place and position of where all of the training and all of the church life that he had taught me, uh, it was, uh, he, he fitted me for the call that I finally submitted to and I quit fighting and I let him be who he needed to be in me. So that's how I got into ministry. Yep. Uh, I, I've heard that story a few times and I love hearing it uh, even now. Uh, it's fun. Uh, well, one big reason why I wanted to have you on early. So this podcast is all about uh, trying to help people navigate ministry, understand it a little bit as if they're jumping in. So there's a little bit of education if you're thinking about jumping in, a little bit of equipping or encouragement. Uh, but one thing that I saw you do, so I was I was the youth pastor at a church, and then we were looking for a senior pastor. Uh, we ended up finding you, uh, but. I got to watch from the opposite side how you navigated the interview process. And I think I told you later, uh, I knew every time you had a meeting, I didn't realize what, realize what was happening in the moment, but people would come back and start asking all these questions. I'm like, where is all this coming from? I realized later it was coming from you. Uh, but 
could you give us like I, I think a lot of uh, p- pastoral ministry personnel have no idea how to navigate an interview process, and they kind of go in really hoping somebody just wants them instead of learning the things they need to learn and taking care of their family like they need to take care of their family. So could you walk us through some of the things that you do to just catch the red flags, make sure you're taking care of those sorts of things? Sure. And, and one of the things that's right up front is that there has to be, if you're planning a move or expecting a move, the move can't come from you. There almost has to be a holy discontent. Bill Hybels actually coined that phrase and wrote a book about it. But the point was, is that I had to understand that I was God's vessel and that my ministry was really his ministry. And when I talked about, uh, uh, with Kathy, uh, you know, my wife, uh, she didn't want to go to Illinois, but, but every move that I made wasn't a running from something, but running to something, which is completely different. And uh, I asked a very simple question, and this is probably the first question that needs to happen with every pastor or minister, to, regardless of the, the position is, if you cannot go anywhere, then you can go nowhere. Mm. In other words, you have to be so open to wherever God wants to move you, you know, that you are willing and and wanting to do it. And if you think about it, uh, when Philip was in in a revival with his daughters and the the Holy Spirit says, uh, go down to Gaza. And it's like, okay, you know, what's in Gaza, you know, and he he leaves a revival and goes down to to Gaza and he finds the Ethiopian eunuch, you know, and he says, okay, I left a crowd to come to one. (laughs) And and what we really miss, and and even in the searching of, of looking at finding out, is this where I'm supposed to be? We have to realize that God does not work in isolation. He works on both sides of the equation, not only the pastor or the minister that's moving, but also the church that's going to be receiving. And and that's huge. But what I did is that in in each of my situations, I had to be fully confirmed that, yeah, it was time to go. Not because of conditions or situations, but I did not put my resume, allow it to go anywhere where I did not feel I fit. Okay. And, and, and so the thing is, is that to, to shotgun your resume everywhere doesn't work because that, that shows a desperation, you know? And, uh, but what I begin to do is like, I'll use Heartland, that's where we were at. Mm-hmm. And I began studying on who Heartland was, because if you look at it, it's really kind of a dating process. You know, you might have an interest in somebody uh, and uh, well, I'll use, you know, you were interested in Rachel, you know, yeah. and the thing is, is that you had to get past the, the outward appearance and actually find out who she was. You have to do the same thing with the church because it, you've heard it said before, it says there, there's the church that they want to be, the church that they could be, but then there's the church that they really are. And a lot of times, you know this as well as I do, Rachel, if she's going to go out with, she's going to put her makeup on, she's going to put her hair all up, and and she's going to look very good. Well, here's the way you have to look at it. If your God is calling you to someplace, you have to know that it's a bride without makeup. 
and you have to be willing to do more. But what my 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 thrust in every move that I made was I told them I will know more about the church than you do. And while there's churches and pastor search teams and such like just to think they know, they're actually clueless uh, of what's going on. But I began to use some of the tools that was available. Uh, they had the annual church profile, you know, and, and you look at that and see what are they doing? You know, uh, began to look at the, the demographics, not just of the church, but also looking at the community. Uh, where are they at? What is the history of the church? And, and these days, you can find those things out by by talking with the associational guy, talking to uh, the the state or even national agencies to find out where they've been. I began also looking at how long the previous people had been there. Okay, uh, pastors, what did they do during their time frame? And um, uh, I requested uh, bulletins. I requested the history. I, I asked for a copy of the Constitution of Bylaws and, and such like this, because I needed to know, can I work within the context that I would be entering? And, and really, it's very important because, see, Jesus met every single person that he made a difference in their life, where they were at, so that he could lead them to where they needed to be. Yeah. And if a pastor, and if there's any red flags, and that's something that's very important as well, if there's any red flags that's going on, then it says, well, hold a second. God, you either need to resolve this in me or show me that this is resolvable when I get there. Um, what are they saying about themselves? Uh, what are they saying they really want to do? Uh, oh, we're a, a loving evangelical church. Oh, wow. How many baptism, baptisms did you have? Uh, it says, well, we, we really uh, believe in, in winning the loss. Okay, do you have an evangelism uh, process? You know, stuff like this, you know. Uh, but the thing is, is that what you find out is that they're really wanting the new guy to come in and do it. <laughs> and, and, and you have to be careful because you can get caught up into a higher clergy doing the work that the church itself won't want to do. Uh, but, but one of the things that, that I looked at is, is you know, um, what needs to be done? And this is my own assessment after I gather all the facts and talking with the conversations and, and figuring out who the power brokers are and who are the, 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 the you know, the, the blockages and, or, and you can see behind me, I'll have uh, some <laughs> elephants. Yep. And, and a, a lot of times churches don't know that they have elephants. And what happens is, is that uh, there's those that may be intentional or unintentional uh, are blocking the way from the congregation of being able to move forward. Um, now, it's going to sound dumb, but when I did a pastor search interview at Heartland, I literally tried to talk myself out of the, out of the position yeah. uh, because I, I said, this is who I am. This is what I do. And if there's anything that you are unsettled with, uh, then then it's a bad mix. It's a bad. It's going to be a bad marriage. Yeah, and I can, I can I, I'm going to speak to you the other side of that since I was there. But uh, for those of you that don't know, uh, you have a doctorate in church revitalization. You were coming there to receive your doctorate in church revitalization, 
And so you were very clear, I'm coming here to do church revitalization. So if you are healthy and you don't need revitalized, you don't need me. And uh, our church really wanted you, which said where we were going. And just to explain the elephant, it's the elephant in the room, right? Like everybody knows it's there, but nobody really wants to uh, acknowledge that it's there. Yeah. Yeah. And one of the things is, is that, you know, be willing to, to talk about questions and, and because see, here's the deal. And this, this has probably been my, my, my struggle. I actually carry the conversation. I carry the interview and, and actually winds up being the other way around. I'm interrogating the church, you know, because how many pastors team have gone someplace just to go someplace. And when they got there, it says, Man, this is we we do not mix. We're oil and water, and, and there's frustration the entire time. So if the pastor or whoever that's going to be is going to be the lead or the shepherd in this case, he has got to know what the sheep look like. And sometimes it's ugly sheep, sometimes it's neglected sheep. But either way, you have to understand this says, you know, when you get there, you can't blame the other guy or whoever like this that says it's your watch. And you're going to be responsible for taking there. God has to give you a vision. Like every pastor that I went to, after the interview process and stuff like this, and actually seeing boots on the ground of the community, I had a list. Nobody saw the list. I had a list of what said, this is what God wants me to do through him at this place. Now, I had left churches when I completed the list. And they go, well, well, why are you leaving? Well, you don't need to leave. It says, you're right. I've done what I needed to do, but so it's time for me to move on. So the next person that God is going to use to take you to the next step or whatever. And, and most of my, and you mentioned revitalization. That is what I found myself. That's what I, God has gifted me and skilled and talents to do. Yes. Uh, after uh, re, uh, creating a healthy environment, I've done my task. It's time to move on. Yeah. It's just like somebody that would be building or, or uh, starting from scratch, you know, and, and very soon like this. Different ministers, different pastors have different callings. There's those that are maintainers. There are those that are shakers and movers. Uh, and the thing is, is that I didn't like it because it was like, yeah, but, you know, it's so messy and it's so whatever it says, but this is who you are. And what I didn't realize is that I had, one of the things I had to do is I had to be comfortable with my own skin. Yeah. I had to know what God had been doing to me, even though 25 years in the Air Force, I was a troubleshooter. You know what? I began to, I was the same thing. He just did it in a different way. So in vetting, you really have to get them to talk, uh, actually ask them the questions. What is it that you need to know that is either uh, workable or is is a is a is a, is a showstopper, and, and if there's a red flag, there's a reason it's a red flag. And, and I've talked to pastors that they went someplace because they felt they needed to go someplace because they wanted to get out where they were at. Uh, so the vetting process is use the tools that are available, especially nowadays. You can look and see uh, with their the video and stuff like this, their their, their internet page and everything. And find out says, okay, this is who they really are. Yep. And you I, must be, go ahead. I, I am curious, uh, did you feel comfortable or do you think it's uh, it's good practice to ask for a budget or is, is that off limits or where would you go no, with that? 
and, and, and I'm glad that you asked that because here's the key. I had to know, is the money available? In fact, that leads us into the next question that, that you're going to ask me about, is that where were they spending their money? Now, and obviously there needs to be some balances. Oh, we're missional, we're this, we're that, and we're going to be evangelical. You know, we want to win the lost. And you're looking, they got $500 in evangelism for the year. You go, okay, so that's really not a priority. That's uh, something that you want to say. And, and here's something to really, uh, I guess, if pastors and ministers, regardless of what that specific vocation is, is that don't fall for the rhetoric. And I would say that also for church uh, that are searching. Uh, I've read resume after resume after resume. And, you know, it says like, okay, this is the, the hot buttons that you want to make sure that you say and all this other stuff. And the thing is that get past that, dig past that. And I, I think when oh, I was doing the interview process, I actually wind up challenging the church and says, do we really want to do what this guy's talking about? Or do we just want to be, you know, you know, in this nice, uh, stable environment and not shake up the wagon or something like this? So you find out, do they really want to do something or they're just talking? Yep. And um, life is too short to have a bad relationship. And uh, so uh, if a person, if a pastor or somebody gets into a situation and says, you got nobody to blame but yourself. If you didn't do your homework, you can't blame the search team because they did theirs. Yeah. Okay. What about uh, personal finances? It's always awkward. I think, I think for most people, when it comes to like talking about salary or, or what the salary package looks like for a minister, that can get awkward because uh, that, frankly, that they're trying to do God's work. And so it feels weird. And how, how do you lean into that? Well, one of the things we have to look at in the day that which we live in today, uh, we don't get paid by chickens and vegetables out of the garden. <laughs> so, you know, you have to realistically says, okay, one of the things in vetting, and we talked about that, this, this is an extension of that. When you get close and you pass the their initial setup and all of the questions and stuff. You have to ask, can they even afford me? Better yet, can I afford to be there? Okay. Cost of living, uh, movement, is it rural, is it suburban, is it urban? Those types of things. And, and when you, back to the budget, finding out how much money is in designated. Like when I went to Heartland, Heartland had over $200,000 in designated. But yet they had a budget that was being missed by 90000 every year. And I'm going, that's because people were designating their, their offerings and ties so they could keep control of it. Now, one of the things that you have to look at is you, we have responsibility to take care of our family. We have to know whether we can live there. Uh, now, I'm in a different situation because I have my military retirement, which allows me to do some things that otherwise couldn't. Um, if you're expecting the pastor or minister's wife to be engaged in ladies ministry and being uh, the, the, the queen, if you would, uh, of the church, then you must be, have a sufficient salary package and benefits that's going to allow them not have to do all kinds of jobs and stuff like this to just try and make ends meet. Uh, scripture is very clear about that, that, you know, that it's worth double honor 
and, and muzzling the mouth of the ox while he's treading out the corn. You know, my daughter is over uh, as IMB missionary. Uh, one of the things about the cooperative program and stuff like this is that we have said that we're going to take care of your needs so that you don't have to worry about how you're going to feed your family and take care of them. That's the same thing, same obligation is there. Now, I know that churches uh, will try to bring you in as low as possible. Okay. Yeah, well, that, that uh, could definitely happen. <laughs> well, you know, what happens is that, you know, your churches look at that and, and they go, well, you know, uh, uh, Pastor Johnny was here for 15 years. There's no way that we're going to bring in a new pastor at the same level. And I disagree with that somewhat, especially if somebody that's coming in uh, has, uh, uh, has attained education, has been doing the things to make sure that he is a viable candidate for that church, uh, then the church needs to be uh, willing to accept um, what it's going to cost. Uh, I know, and see, that's an elephant in the room, Tim. It is. Uh, that, that one of the things is, is that here's what I look at. I What's the job description look like? Well, you know, it, it is like this, 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 and this, this. Yeah, but tell me the compensation package. Every search team should have already done the legwork before they ever interviewed anybody. This is what the position is requiring you to do. This is what it pays. This is where it's, that it stops out. And I think that there needs to be uh, salary ranges. In fact, if you look at it, most of the time when you put your name, your, your resume out on, say, uh, uh, a seminary web or something like this, they actually ask you for a salary range. Well, so sorry. Otherwise, don't put your name in. You know, uh, but I have to I had to ask that, and, and so you just have to ask the question. Be bold enough to do that. It says, okay, yeah, I'm going to do this, and it says this is what it's going to cost you. If you allow a church to uh, control that, uh, they will bring you in as low as they possibly can. Yeah, I would say that the general rule is that's very true. Yeah, you'll have the the church that's the exception, but that's probably very true. Yeah, right. And and, and so the point is, is that you need the the minister needs to know this is okay. I can put my foot to the pedal of ministry because I don't have to worry about if I'm going to be able to live uh, in such a way that's going to take care of my family. Obligation, God, family, and, and you have to be careful and say the, the church, yeah, that's your that's your place of working and such like that. But you need to be able to freely. Um, work without having to worry about are we going to be able to pay the light bills i've ran into too many pastors that that and this is something that when you talk about the uh the the finances they had no retirement and, and the thing is is that it says hold on a second it says we have not taken care of of that pastor and that church is 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 to blame for that you know now that doesn't mean that pastors should be able to nickel and dime a church to death but it does need that you need to have a, a compensation do the study uh and i've been a part of that for both nationally and then statewide is that what is required for the size of the church and what is the economics and stuff like this you know so so um um you know, what does the compensation package look like? What does the cost of living look like? When I moved from uh, uh, Texas up to Illinois, I engaged something that I hadn't thought of. 
uh, and that was that Illinois has state taxes. So, so, so really I had to think of says, okay, here's where we can live. Now, I don't think that there needs to be such an exorbitant uh, uh, salary package that ministry can't be done. In fact, that's one of the things that has to be done. We'll talk about that in just a little bit, but uh, that's what I would ask. You gotta ask the question. If you don't ask the question, it's your own fault because that's the whole deal. Any other job that or position that we would go in making our living, we know going in what it's gonna pay. Yep. And uh, so if it's, that could be at the red flag, uh, you know, they're, they're not going to take care of their pastors and stuff. But also right. here's the thing as well in vetting, find out why the last pastor left. Okay. Yep. You know, so. All right. Um, I think uh, I, I had an educate question for you. So what is the one thing that you would want to make sure new ministry personnel understand about the church life or, or ministry? So it doesn't necessarily have to be pastoral. It could be other things like camp or going overseas to be a missionary, but what's one thing that you would want to make sure they know? Well, here's something that, and, and, and I thought about this a little bit. Here's probably one thing that I came to understand when I, I, I was called and I, I can't over overstate that. If you're not called, don't go into the ministry. I mean, because you're going to be, you're not going to do it. It's going to be a job and you're going to labor at it and you're going to struggle with it because God has not got given you the power mm. to stay. And, 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 and we'll talk about a little bit more about that, but, but here's, here is this. I had to understand that I was going to be a life learner. Just because I have my degrees doesn't mean that I'm done learning. And, and there's enough things that change in the ministry environment that, uh, and, and you know, this as well as I do, uh, churches, some churches are still operating in the 1960s. Yes. And they, have, they haven't moved to the, to the 21st century and they can't figure out how come people are not engaging or, or, or uh, participating whatever you want to call it, in, in the church's life. Because, well, because you're archaic, you're outdated. That doesn't mean that you don't do the, the evangelism, discipleship, the, the, the music, the missions, the fellowship, the worship. It's just that you have to understand who's your audience. And I, I guess that's, if I could just back up just a little bit. Yeah. In that, in that vetting process, you got to be able to recognize what kind of sheep you have. And and I, and, I, and when I, I talked about this, is that uh, is that I've asked churches. This is what would you say is the temperature of your spiritual temperature of your church? Oh, we're probably lukewarm. Well, I can tell you what. Then what they will be is they'll be satisfied with a lukewarm shepherd. But moving on to, to uh, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, seminary is not an end and end to all all ends you know uh and you have to understand that uh well you are like that now uh you have to be a reader yep. and and it isn't just reading popular stuff you have to read stuff that is going to challenge your views even though you may not agree with it but unless you actually have say a, an alternate a view or perspective on something you can't reinforce or, or know that you know why you believe what you believe. So uh, reading uh, multiple genres, and, and uh, uh, I think, you know, I, I've tried to do that. 
Uh, I've read some things that I absolutely disagree with, yep. but I had to set my emotions and my opinion aside so I could see what the other side or what the alternative was. And then what I usually found out was that it reinforced. Um, one of the other things. Uh, on go that ahead. Note, yeah, on that note, uh, one of my favorite things is uh, when somebody goes, where in the world did you find that book? And, and I just enjoy going, you know, in the back of the books you read, there's this thing called a bibliography. <laughs> And then when you see when you see a book keep showing up in those things, maybe go read that one too. <laughs> sure, and, and you know that's essential because yeah, you're you're right. That's how I've done a number of my library is that I've read something, and, and uh, I, I went, well, let me find it. What's that all about? They hit a nerve, and I said, I need to know more about that. You know, so uh, then I, then I chase it down. But you have to be careful because it's like doing a uh, reference list, cross reference list in your Bible. You know, you start out in John three sixteen, and you wound up over in Nehemiah someplace, and you go, <laughs> How the world did I get here? You know. Yep. Uh, but it's good. Here's something that's uh, the in education, um, and, and like I said. Uh, be a good reader read various genres because out of those you will find a lot of great illustrations mm -hmm. now the apostle paul was able to use the poets and the philosophers of his of the day to interact and capture the attention of the people on mars hill yep. well the thing is, is that when we start using the um you know, illustrations and books from whatever, then that draws a net to see that how that the, the scripture and the Christian life is much more than just a religious institution that sits over there, but how that it should actually permeate every aspect and fabric of our humanity. And so that that's very important. Uh, one of the things in this, this education thing, like I said, being a, a, a a lifelong learner, you have to uh, ask the hard questions, even of yourself. Um, one of the things that I've, I've, I've learned, and this is the application for that, is understanding that each church, every church is like a snowflake. Mm. It's, it's unique in its own way. Now, that's not to say that there isn't a lot of things that are in common. Mm. But you have to understand uh, that the difference between uh, a church in Illinois and a church in Texas or Georgia or wherever, I said, you can't uh, expect to go to a church and just drag your bag of tricks and say, well, this is what I did in Texas. Well, Texas isn't, isn't Illinois. So when you try and do that, and people are going, I don't know what they're talking about when he says oil, Derek. You, you know, <laughs> You know, I don't know. And so you know, it's like, so you have to be careful in learning. And one of the things is, uh, and you know why we've done some of this, is, is learning about people. Mm -hmm. and, and because uh, you can look at the task of, well, we have to, uh, we have to do this. We've got to do the Great Commission. We've got to do this. We've got to do that. And we forget that yeah, but you know, it takes people to do that. So there's a there's an educating of how to interact. So the the education can't be just, um, well, you can't be just somebody that read the book. Yeah, you have to be somebody that is actually living out what you say you believe. So the education is not only personal, but the education has to be 
something that, well, you know this, Tim, if, if the sermon didn't get in you, it's not going to get out of you. And, and the thing is, is that, that one of the things when you look at the, what the prophets did and what Paul did, he wrote our personal experiences and things that he had learned, but he passed it on to educate and to motivate the people that were trying to follow God as well. So now they understood they were not alone in this. Yeah. A lot of the things, so it's life experiences. It's not just, well, it's, just, it's not a religious book, so I can't read it. No, 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 hold it. That, that's wrong, you know, because we need to have other inputs into our life and stuff. So that's what I would yeah. say about education. I actually, uh, <laughs> I was talking with a football coach and I was reading a football scouting book and he was just like, are you trying to like get into coaching or something? I was like, no, not really. And he's like, why are you reading it? I was like, I'm trying to see if there's a way to pick out discipleship elements through uh, football scouting. And he's like, that's weird. And I was like, I know, <laughs> but I go, I'm just curious if there's something I can find in here that, that lets me see uh, how to develop people. Yeah. One of the things that Tim, that we, we forget is that uh, our source of truth isn't just the Bible. All truth comes from God, yeah. regardless of where it comes from. You know, the people themselves may not even know about that. I mean, you look at the Caiaphas prophecy that one man should die for the nation. Well, that's a truth. Well, he didn't understand what he was saying, but that was actually God's plan. So we have to be careful not to um, pigeonhole certain things as that, well, I can't listen to science because, you know, it's that it is. Well, hold on a second. There's an understanding that says this still is true. You throw something up, it's going to come down, you know, <laughs> yeah. those types of things. So uh, education, and I think that's probably something, if I could, uh, that we've really gotten away from because um, many of our ministers that we have in churches have the schooling or whatever like this but they don't have life skills. Too true. And, and, and the struggle is, is, and you've heard me say this before, the, the, the hardest, most important step that every pastor takes on Sunday is not into the pulpit, but out of it. Because that's when he then begins to walk among the sheep. All right. Uh, what about equipping? What's one tool that you believe you believe has helped you the most uh, in ministry? Or what tool do you wish you would have had from the start? Maybe that's another one, too. Um, what tool? Now, it's, it's kind of odd because, see, I was I had a career before I got into ministry. Yeah, and, your, uh, your tool might be your previous career. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the tool was, uh, again, is like, uh, I, I guess here's probably the, the thing that being able to be a discerner of what is real and what is imitation, I guess, the, and, and I could go back to the, the, the pastors and stuff, just that there's a difference between uh religion versus righteousness i'll just say it that way okay. and what happens is we can get caught up into a uh, systematized environment okay that that eludes us 
from, uh, again, going back to the, the learning, but equipping probably the tools that helped me the best, probably the one that really helped me the best was, uh, was the devotional tool. Okay. Uh, I had to have, I had to understand that I'm living the Christian life just like everybody else is. And that I need input into me from the word of God. I need to understand that I have an identity in Christ that is unique and separate from my position in the church. That I still have an identity as a child of God, as a believer, as a Christian. And having said that, that I had to understand that the, the devotion, uh, I used Oswald Chambers, um, you know, my utmost first highest, I, I, I wore it out. <laughs> you know? uh, but the thing is, is that every time I read it, and, and probably a tool, maybe it's a skill, is that I quit when I approach scripture. It does not matter how many times I've, I've preached it, studied it, to read it as if it was the first time I've ever read it in my life. And you'd be amazed at how God will open up things to you. I, I had the, uh, the tools that I learned, I think, is something that is uh, personality. Uh, okay. who, who am I? Mm. And who are people? And why do I struggle with certain personalities, but yet others I have no, no problem with? Yeah. And, and, and that has helped me because, see, realizing that people are, are very diverse. Uh, Tim LaHaye did some stuff, you know, with the uh, spiritual temperaments. And, and that began to do some stuff. And people began, well, that's psychological. But, well, now we've got uh, some some other things that we look at, you know. Uh, I was trying to think of it as skip my mind. But, uh, you know, whether you're a one, two, three, four, five, or seven. You know? Yeah, the Enneagram, yeah. Yeah, the anagram, but but even you and I, we studied that book uh, that um, uh, maximum faith. Yes. Yeah. You what, know, yeah. What uh, stop you're at? Yeah. And, and what happened there was that we realized is that there are different people at different stages, and, and here's something that I had to understand: the difference between equipping me is understanding that there are different people indifferent along the spectrum of growth you know and, and paul was able to address that even in his own uh, epistles and stuff like this but uh praying here's something a tool that, that became very important in equipping me but also equipped other people somebody will walk up to me uh and say uh brother jim i need you to pray for xyz well i stopped right there and there and did it uh, rather than and say, well, you, you, you're, you're three minutes, you're, you're supposed to be, the, the top clock is ticking, you got to get to the pulpit. No. Taking time to deal with a situation uh, and pray makes all the difference in the world. Yep. It can actually set the tone of the entire worship service. And it could be you know, whether you're in, in a bookstore, in a mall, it, it doesn't matter. But if somebody is willing to come to you and it's important for enough for them to talk about, then it's important enough to pray about. Yep. And uh, let's see, uh, one of the things that you have to read the Bible, that's part of that equipping, you have to read the Bible for you, 
not to find a sermon. And that's, you can really get caught up into that. Yep. And, and, and what happens is that it becomes now it's just a source or resource. Well, let's see, I can match these verses with that. And you go, hold it a second. No, just read and let you develop your own a relationship with that scripture and how the father is going to, 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 you know, bless you and, and, and teach you stuff. Uh, expand your thoughts. Uh, challenge what you believe and why you believe it. And uh, you can you can probably understand that uh, I let you tell me about how that you're a Calvinist and and I, and, and I, I let you go if you remember correctly. I didn't yeah. challenge that and stuff, you know. But the thing is, and one of those things, knowing what you believe and why you believe is one thing. But other people can have different thoughts, and that's fine. But it shouldn't make a point of where it's going to break the fellowship. Yeah. But it also, if you remember correctly, I came back to you and I asked you, says, can you help me understand why you are? Well, what that did is it made you really think, it says, do I really believe this or do I just say I believe this? And uh, one of the things probably in equipping and preparation, whether you're a pastor or whether you're just a, uh, a minister and whatever, do book studies. Don't yeah. do just the topical, do book studies, because that's going to give you an understanding of how it came about, but also how and why it is part of the uh, the, the canon of Scripture itself. Sure. And just to clear that up, obviously, that was early on in our time together. And uh, um, if you know me now, you know that uh, Jim had a major influence on me, uh, and I rarely, I rarely don that term anymore. <laughs> So uh, how about encouragement? So what have been some of the biggest reasons you kept going in ministry, even when it was hard, when it was tough? You know, yet everybody's got those tough seasons. You kept going. Other people sometimes walk away. Uh, what have some of the been some of the biggest reasons you just kept going and walking through those times? One, one of the things, and, and Tim, I mentioned this earlier, uh, if God has not called you, you will not stay. Uh, I believe it was John Piper or Tim Keller, I forget which one says, uh, brethren, we are not professionals. And to understand that, that while we are, and that we are held to a high standard of moral and ethics and such like this, says we are in the ministry because God called us to the ministry. You know, you, you look at Moses, you look at Jeremiah and stuff like this, and how that they resist and says, well, I can't do this. I didn't ask you if you could do it. He says, I am putting my word, my message in you, and I'm going to use you. And so, so the thing is, is that um, I, I, I was fired. Well, essentially, you know, uh, where there was troubles and stuff like this uh, with a church. And they cut my salary in half. I lost my youth minister, music minister, my custodian, piano player, organist. Uh, you, you know, everybody was gone except for me, but God had not released me. Yeah. And as hard and as difficult and emotional that that was, we walked by faith. All we had was this call. His call was more than enough to stay. And, and the thing is, here's something that, that encouragement. 
pastors, ministers, youth ministers, music, it doesn't matter. You got to understand that ministry is hard. Jesus tried to teach 12 guys for three years. And they still didn't get it. And Acts chapter one, verse six, is it now that you're going to, you know, uh, return to glory to, to Israel? And, you know, you just kind of want to reach through and just slap them across the head. It says, what's wrong with you people? Uh, <laughs> but understand that ministry is hard. If anybody could do it, anybody could do it. Yeah. But God has chosen us, not just for salvation, but he has chosen us to take care of his bride. Uh, one of the things that encouraging is, is listening to the prompting of the Holy Spirit mm. and act. Mm. Um, for example, uh, how many times have you or I been prompted by the Holy Spirit? Somebody uh, comes across our mind, you know, say, well, you know, I need to call him or her or whatever like this, you know, and, and you know, we let it go. And then you find out two or three days later, you know, that that person absolutely needed a voice and somebody to come along. So, so here's what I say is that, you know, at the property of the Holy Spirit, do it, just do it. it says, what if they don't understand? It says, that's not your issue. Yours is being found faithful to do what needs to go on. Um, uh, you have to understand that in the encouragement that uh, in the world, you will have tribulation. Uh, Jesus said this, he says, but here, understand, I have overcome the world. If they believe my words, they'll believe yours. And guess what? They didn't believe him. They're not going to believe you. And all the bottom line stuff, here's the deal. You have to be true to yourself, but you have to see and understand that you serve the audience of one. Yes. One. And, you know, uh, there's going to be trials. There's going to be tribulations. And understanding says, okay, now, if you're going through things, uh, understand that God is probably trying to, uh, you know, strengthen you uh, because something's coming down the pipe that you're going to have to be stronger than what you are, you know. And, and here's one of the things, you know, that he, and maybe it's a discipline, you know. Hebrews talks about that, is that if we are without disciplining, you know, and, and correction says we're not his. So uh, we have to understand that it's not easy. Now, you have to understand that there's a difference. If you did it and created the situation, it's like, Dude, the consequences are yours. But when you're walking right and stuff like this, then and you know that there's tribulations and trials, you think of the book of Job, um, that he, no one knew, not even Job knew, that God was using him uh, to teach a whole bunch of things that was going on. And uh, how many times does our testimony of going through difficult times encourage others yeah. and one of the things we have to learn and i heard this just recently says good news usually follows bad news mm. and give you an example friday was absolutely ugly for jesus yeah. bad news jesus is dead in fact we, we talked about that it says well you want the good news or the bad news and you go well, okay you know it says well, well give me the the, the good news uh, jesus is risen What's, what's the bad news? Jesus died, you know. <laughs> so, so we have to understand. It says, okay, and you and I, we talked about this before. And as a principle that I put in my life is that don't make a decision based upon emotions. 
if there is something, and here's something, don't give an answer unless you're ready to give an answer. Don't let somebody force you into giving an answer that you're not prepared to give. And, and what I, we talked about this before is that three days, I, I've asked you to do things and others to do things. And it says, I don't want to hear the answer. It says, Talk, tell me in three days. And it says, well, I'll give you the answer. And I said, I don't want the answer now. And so, because if I make a decision on Friday, I miss Sunday and I make the wrong decision. So unless it's absolutely emergency type thing, that I, that's a little different, but understanding and moving and stuff like this, you have to, you have to go through that. And um, yeah, I, I'll just say that's the, keep going because it's, it's not a job. It's a, It's God, what Paul says is that I would be apprehended for that which I've been apprehended for. Yep. And realizing that it isn't about you uh, having a retirement or having a ministry. It's about being able to bring glory to the kingdom of God and that making Jesus and the Father known. Awesome. Three more questions, because uh, I know you got to move on with your day, and I appreciate no, I'm the time. Fine. I'm fine. I'm okay. fine. Uh, first one, who have been some of the main mentors and influencers in your life? Yeah, and you already know the answers to most of this. I do. <laughs> um, but I, I will start out with the reading. Something that, that and this goes back to the equipping and, and stuff like this, is Chuck Swindoll really made a big difference in, in who, and, and because it was, it was good stuff, but yet it was a devotional life application, somebody that was walking through what I was doing. Um, uh, Max Lucado, uh, I, just, I read him and uh, uh, I remember reading uh, um, uh, a book in a bookstore. Uh, I do that. And, uh, I, I, and it was, I forget the name of the book, but I just started laughing out loud. And uh, people were looking at me and stuff like this, and I couldn't control myself. But, you know, it was different. But Max, uh, and, and, and I would say something about Max that made him different than, than the Church of Christ people, that he was a missionary yeah. to Brazil. And that changed his life forever and enabled him to be who he was. Uh, my reading also is uh, Oswald Chambers, uh, G. Mims, as far as learning and understanding organization of the church, N.T. Wright, which is a, a really good uh, a struggle, Francis Schaefer uh, and Chuck Colson are, are a couple, and then O.S. Hawkins are, are some authors that I would use. But probably the greatest influencer that I ever had was an 86-year-old man. His name was Major Ian Thomas. And, and I, I briefly talked about what happened in Italy. But nobody could tell me what happened to me. I knew what happened. And in fact, it was so traumatic, dramatic and impacting that I thought I got saved again. But yet I already knew I was saved. And Major Ian Thomas spent uh, probably three years, actually longer than that, because we communicated after I come back. He spent a, a week of his Christmas vacation teaching us over in Belgium. And he taught me how that um, it was Christ in you, that Colossians passage, Colossians 127, the mystery of this is that Christ is in you. And you know, I, I've, that's been so expanded. And then I went, oh my goodness, it, it's huge. 
that it isn't me trying to be a Christian. It isn't me trying to live up to a certain rules and regulations and morals and ethics and stuff like this. It was understanding that, that I now am a container that now has the Son of God in me. And uh, his book, uh, The Saving Life of Christ, absolutely essential for anybody that wants to grow into the fullness of what salvation really means. And then the, the second part of that is uh, uh, the, the mystery of godliness, which he really does a, a wonderful job with. And um, uh, he just explained to me, and, and, and I always talk about people that get it. And they go, get what? Well, that shows you right there that, that there's something that's missing. But, but when you, when, you know, I've had to do this with my, with my churches and stuff. And, and using what, what he talks about is this, how many of you want more? How many of y'all want more in your Christian life than what you're getting? Now, the Christian, and I mentioned this earlier, we have an identity outside of the church. The church is our fellowship and our family that allows us to, to build and to grow and to depend and, and connect and, and get, um, you know, the muscle and everything working and stuff like this. But understanding that I want effectiveness. I want all that God has for me. And when I realized that, uh, and this is going to sound bad, I wish it didn't, salvation unlocked the change that incarcerated me because of sin. Mm. But what happened was, is that I got caught into the church and the church re-shackled me instead of setting me free. Yeah. And, and, and what happened to me was that there was that surrender that it's always this, this obligation, always got to be do, 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 do. And finally says, you know, it says, when you look at John 19, 30, it is finished. Everything that needs to be done for our godliness and salvation has been completed in Jesus Christ. Quit trying to do and prove that you're a believer. Start being the believer you already are. And, and <laughs> but in the major, uh, and, and I've shared that with other people. Now, you know, Tim, you have to understand, not everybody's ready for that. Yeah. Not everybody can handle that. Not everybody will get that because they have been institutionalized. Yep. And at, when I had come to the point of 15 years of serving and doing, I was the model. I mean, people would tell me, Man, I wish we had 30 like you. I says, yeah, but I was dying inside. Yeah. I said, what was missing? And, and the difference was this, and I know you're probably running out of time, but if I could share just this point, in John chapter 20, Jesus enters into the room and he says, peace be unto you. And then he, sees, he breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. That was the giving of the Holy Spirit. That was the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And then you go, whoa, 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 whoa back up. What happened in Acts chapter 2? Mm -hmm. Well, everybody wants to go to Acts chapter 2 is when the Holy Spirit was given. He says, that's wrong. Acts chapter 2 was the explosion of the power being released that was already in resident. Mm. What we find is that we have believers, born-again Christians, that have the Holy Spirit, as Ephesians tells us, that you know, that's the seal of our salvation and redemption, but they have never experienced the power of the Holy Spirit 
doing what only it can do in the vessel. Hmm. And it, it changes it changes everything because you look at the Peter, even after he received the Holy Spirit in John 20, when the power was released in Acts 2, he was not the same guy. And so how many believers do we have that are walking around in churches, in pulpits, that they know that they're saved, but they've never had the power of God released in their life of where they're not in control. They're not responsible for what happens. They're just saying, yes, Lord, do what you would do. So, Awesome. Yeah. Uh, I knew you were going to go to the major, uh, <laughs> so I'm glad you did. He's greatly impacted my life as well. Um, how about, so did you give us like the books that you, the couple of books, I know you gave authors, but do you have a sure. couple of books that you tend to hand out to people? Like it just I, naturally I happens. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I do. And obviously the first one would be the saving life of Christ. Yeah. I think that book. might be the second or third book you gave me. Like you had to wait with me and then I got well, there. And believe it or not, Tim, I actually had to wait for people because I had to get them to a position where they weren't going to choke. <laughs> when, it, when I read it. Uh, the second is the sequel. You can actually buy this through Claron and uh, Amazon. It's called The Mystery of Godliness. Okay. And it actually tells you how that you become what John, John said, I must decrease, he must increase. Yeah. And how that you can actually move off of the, the page of your life and allow Jesus to it all. Uh, the, the, another one would be the uh, most for his highest. Uh, you just got to have that as just solid. And the story behind that is that Oswald Chambers was only a minister for seven years. Yeah. His wife is the one who was a school teacher, an English teacher at the time, recorded all of, wrote down all of his sermons and stuff like this. And that's where we get all of his writings. Uh, another one is a very strong and difficult, probably to read, is Watchman Nee and the, the Normal Christian Life. Okay. Yep. And that's huge as well. Um, Jerry Bridges with the Navigators, The Pursuit of Holiness okay. uh, is, is a tremendous book. Uh, and then for pastors and stuff like this or wanting to do stuff, uh, uh, Robert Dale's book, Dream Again. Yep, Dream Again. I, I read that one earlier. That, I may have read that before uh, The Saving Life of Christ. I may have had that one. And I'm pretty sure you gave me uh, If I Perish, I Perish. That may have been the first major book that I read. That's yeah. a good book too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, well, cool. Where can people find you? So, if they want to reach out, they hear this and they're just curious, they want to find out more, uh, maybe they want to read more, uh, where can they find you? Uh, well, actually, uh, and I appreciate that, I actually began doing a blog uh back in 2015. You were still there. And what we I found was that the 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 people while they said they believed the Bible, they weren't reading it. Yeah. And, and, and I try, and because we actually, if you think about it, we live in a generation now that most do not know the stories, do not understand where did that get from, what happened, you know? And uh, all, that a lot of times that comes up with misquotes and stuff like this. So I began a blog called preachbetweenthelines.com. And it actually came from a friend of mine named Lloyd Johnson who said, uh, well, Jim, you're different than most preachers. And I said, well, how's that? And he says, well, they preach the letters, the black letters. You preach the space in between the lines. <laughs> and uh, and that's probably a lot of my 
my makeup. Uh, I'm very inquisitive. I want to ask questions and stuff. So I began to do that. And, and what happened was I was surprised. We, we finished that 2015. And then we, for the next five years, we went through the entire 66 books of the Bible. And, and if I could, uh, as I said, preach between the lines, I wrote two books. And uh, I got them too. Yeah. <laughs> so, and uh, you can get those off of bookbaby.com and just uh, uh, get those a lot faster, or you can go to um, uh, Amazon. Uh, there's other places that you can get those. Uh, all you have to do is Google uh, Google that and you, or DuckDuckGo, whichever you want to use. Yeah. Uh, so those two books, uh, and, and like I said, one was the New Testament, but the, then what we did is we went and we did the Old Testament, and we found that the it's a devotion, but yet it's a commentary. Uh, but what I said in, in the back of it, it says it's a journey. And, and you see, the journey is it is just a constant. We, we never get there, uh, but just to be able to enjoy it. Something that else that I'm doing right now, it's not finished yet, is called Sheep Stalls and Fattening Pens. Okay. And it's a book, it's a book that I... Uh, in writing, it's, it's about two thirds done. And what I found out was this: is that the most important organization or, or, or aspect of Christianity is the church. Jesus died for the church. Uh, it, it was the church that that was birthed out of the gospel, uh, and He is continuing to work and to 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 purify her. And such like this. But what I found out in, in the day and time that we live in today is that shepherding skills, and I mentioned this before, don't happen. Uh, we were called to shepherd sheep, not herd cattle. <laughs> and and what's and, and, uh, interesting in the book, what I do is I, I said, I, I've never raised sheep, but I have pastored four churches, you know. But, but the point was, is that how that in John 10, uh, there's a difference between a hireling and a shepherd. And the most important thing of everything is, is never the shepherd. In fact, the shepherd is expendable to save the sheep. Now, I've got some other things. You look at Ezekiel 34, well, there, there's bad sheep. In fact, there's a couple of chapters called The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, you know? Okay. Right. <laughs> so... But and another book that I find that I'm going to incorporate is called "When the Sheep Bite." Okay. You know? yep. So, but uh, but you, that's where you can get a hold of me. But uh, the preach between the line, which caused those two books that I just showed you, I found uh, that God was using that technology and that commitment to Scripture for 80 different countries. Awesome. All the time. Uh, and in, in, I mean, every country that you can think of and uh, I get feedback and, and stuff like this. And but, but here's one of the things is that people are absolutely starving to death. They're thirsty. And, and you know this as well as I do. We cannot survive on a fast food diet. Um, I'll give you an illustration if I could. Uh, yep. And the book of Genesis, uh, Abraham had quite a, a herd of flock of sheep and camels and goats and stuff like this. So he dug wells or had them dug 
And then what happened was, is that um, through the years, they got filled up by the Philistines with dirt. And Isaac, uh, his son, came back and, and was trying to reclaim those um those wells so he was redigging the wells that his father abraham had done but the philistines came by and said no no you can't have that these are ours so he moved from well to well that abraham had done but the same thing was repeated over and over again you can't have these so what happened was is that isaac had to dig his own wells the point is this our ministry and sheep ministry we cannot have or raise sheep based on what somebody else did mm. we have to dig our own wells and and, and you know this as well as i do uh that, that the, the shepherd was was responsible for um grass water and rest and the the shepherd it, it's a it's an ongoing it's 24 7 you never get done and 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 one of the things that i, I i'm a, i talk about in the book is that the sheep were, were were stuck in the pen and if you think about our christian life and our churches our churches uh the sheep are stuck in the pen they're stuck inside the walls of the church well here if you look at the what was in raising and tending sheep the sheep were only put into the church or into the, the pen for safety. Mm. They were meant to be led out the next morning, mm. but led out to where the shepherd had already been. Mm. And <laughs> so, so you can see the impact with that. And so, but, and I thought about, you know, the, the, the illustration about Jesus talking about the, the sheep of the nine, the 9901. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking about that. I says, well, where did he leave the sheep? And uh, he left the sheep in, out in the field. And you go, are you kidding me? They're, they're neurotic. They're nervous. They're crazy. They're stiff necked or whatever like this, you know, they're going to freak out. They have no defense mechanisms within themselves. And it says, how in the world could the shepherd leave 99 sheep in the field, open field, to go get the one? Because he taught him how to be sheep. Yeah. And I thought about it and I says, okay, they knew that the shepherd was going to be back because he had gone before. And sometimes we as pastors and shepherds need to let our sheep be in the field, knowing that we're going to come back, but they still need to be sheep. And what happened was, is that um, I got to thinking about the, the lost sheep. Was this, how does sheep get lost? Well, you know this as well as I do, is that there will be members and there will be sheep that will, they wander around, they're not paying attention to what's going on. Next thing you know, they're isolated from the, from the flock. I said, okay. And so the other thing is this, is that the shepherd is moving too fast mm. and they wind up being stragglers. And I said, the third thing is this, the shepherd's lost himself. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking forward to that book, uh, as I'm sure other people listening are. So we'll, <laughs> when it comes out, you have to let me know. We'll have to let, let you come back on and uh, talk about sure. it even more. Sure. Because uh, my guess, this is just me guessing, but uh, I've had a lot of experience with you and uh, definitely had other friends influenced by you. And I'm guessing people are going to be influenced by this conversation. So 
Yeah. Well, my uh, uh, my friend Terry Riles, he says, Jim, he says, the title alone is going to make it a bestseller. <laughs> <laughs> so. uh, it is a good title. Uh, anything else before our time is up here that you'd like to add in? There, I thought about this and I said, if, if I could say this to young pastors and stuff like this, you got to know the difference between normal church environment and behavior versus a problem church with issues. Okay. And, and what I mean by that is that, you know, ministry is hard. I already said that. But what happens is that, well, the people are this, the people are this. You got to understand, there's a reason that God called the sheep. We're stiff-necked, we're, 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 we're boisterous, we're, we're willing to do our own thing, and everything like this. Says, that's who we are, and that's normality. And I've had so many churches, our pastors, that said, well, we need to re do revitalization. I said, no, you don't. You just need to do what you're supposed to be doing. I said, get to work. You know, and, and, and that's the struggle that they have. So uh, you just have to know that we need to energize, we need to equip, and we need to motivate people for ministry. I said, that, that's what it's all about. Tom Landry wrote a great book, and, and he was known for as a great uh, leader and motivator. He was able to get people, players, to do that which they didn't think they could do and actually exceeded their own personal expectations. So that's really kind of what the pastor needs to do, to get people to do what they already know that they can or, or should be able to do and see the potential in them. And, and, and as pastors, Nina says, understand, it says, shepherd the sheep. Yeah. Jesus will grow the church. Unhealthy sheep cannot have healthy babies. Yeah. And uh, neglect of the sheep I mean, preaching is, is wonderful and it needs to happen. But unless you're checking for infections and, and, and stuff like this, you know, and the health of the sheep, I said, you got to know them. I said, they know your name. They hear your voice. And uh, so uh, uh, that would probably be the key is know the difference between what is normal animal behavior, you know, and what is abnormal. Yeah. And, uh, we're definitely through this podcast trying to help people figure some of that out for sure. Sure, sure. Um, so I appreciate so much you giving up. Uh, I, I think at this point we're a little bit over an hour. So we um, are. Yeah. Hey, I enjoyed it. We could, in all honesty, we could probably go for like two more hours if we just wanted to open it up for anything. But uh, I do appreciate the time you gave. One of the things, Tim, is this, is that uh, we talked about elephants earlier. We need to talk about the things that we know that are there instead of just acting like they don't belong. Because what we found out is that, you know, if we're experiencing something, you know, there's probably 100,000 other believers that are experiencing the same thing. So we're not in this alone. We are not. Uh, there's more of us walking through the same things than we want to realize. Yep. Sure. So I appreciate allowing me to be a part of your uh, initial podcast and pray many blessings and that our, the listeners will uh, be encouraged and uh, stay the course in being found faithful. All right. I appreciate you, uh, you being on and giving your time and I hope to do this again at some point. All right, then. Thank you so much, Tim. Appreciate it. All right. See you later. Bye-bye. Wow. 
That is some powerful stuff. I knew I would get a lot of good uh, nuggets of wisdom from Jim. I hope you did as well. I hope uh, it was encouraging, equipping, challenging. I hope you got educated. Uh, I even did, and I knew a lot of the things that, I mean, we the things he shared, we've talked about before, and yet there's still some moments where I'm like, whoa, I got to write that one down. Uh, so hope you enjoyed it. Now, next uh, episode, we have Lonnie Trembley coming on. I want to give you a preview of that, so check out this preview of Lonnie. With that, I think Doug has done an excellent job of looking at those first two years. I read the first two chapters, and I went, where have you been? You know, my first four years were disaster. I was trying to all, the whole, you know, let's entertain them and hopefully share scripture with them. And uh, <laughs> that was not going well. Let's just put it that way. My daughter, who at that time was in, in the youth group, it took me aside and said, Dad, that's not what we need. We need scripture. Mm. We need the word of God. Lonnie gave his life and career to youth ministry. What he has to say about youth ministry is very powerful, very wise. Uh, and so make sure you check that out next time. Uh, but for this time, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for much, so much for sharing your time. If you would, like, subscribe, do all the things, uh, write a review. I would appreciate it. Share it with people that you know are heading into ministry or may be discouraged in ministry. I would appreciate that as well. And I will see you next time.